said that Michael Heseltine uh, uh, planned his whole career on the back of an envelope when he was a student. He decided first he would become a millionaire, then he would enter politics, become a cabinet minister and uh, finally be prime minister. And um, as his life unfolded, he actually did make a million. He was in the cabinet and he nearly became party leader and prime minister. I have to say I am in absolute awe of someone like that who could uh, foresee his whole life, plan it out and then bring it at least substantially to fruition. Because I suspect, well I know my life and most of our lives are very different from that. In reality our youthful dreams don't quite work out as we hoped and I know from experience that over the years mounting a weight of disappointment can leave us embittered, depressed, full of self-loathing and emotionally numb. And if we are Christians as well, that has another dimension. It spills over into our faith. It affects our relationship with God. And there is many, many, a bright young thing who has been uh, 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 the, the life of a church who has by middle age descended into bitterness and mediocrity and sometimes even walked away from church altogether. Few people in the Bible actually have more reason to react like that than Joseph. Joseph the dreamer, remember, in Genesis 37, had dreamt that he would rule over his brothers. Joseph, the blue-eyed boy, was dressed by his father to uh, indicate that he was destined for great things. And what had happened to him? Only disaster, it seemed. His hopes had been crushed. Actually, not, not once, but twice. Remember, he lost his place in the family. His brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt just when things seemed to be looking up for him. He had been promoted to a high position in the house of this Egyptian Potiphar. His hopes were dashed again. He was falsely accused of rape. He was thrown into prison. And that's where we meet him at the beginning of uh, Genesis chapter 14. What do you do when life has dumped you in the ditch again? What do you do when you failed to get that dream promotion, when those exam results weren't as you wanted, when that perfect life partner turned out to uh, um, uh, not be interested in you? What do you do when your dreams of glory in the church seem to turn to dust? What do you do when you face disappointment? When you find yourself like Joseph, actually a million miles from where you imagined you would be years ago. And I, I want you to be clear in your minds, make no mistake about it, if it hasn't happened to you yet, frankly it will. We were made to gaze at the stars. God has given, that, uh, given us that appetite. That is not a sin to have high ambitions. But in our fallen world, again and again, we always find, one way or another, at least in some dimensions of our lives, we find ourselves face down in the mud. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, 
it will we live in a fallen world and what do we do then? Joseph is going to show us what we do in chapters uh, 40 to 41 of uh, uh, Genesis here we have actually a wonderful portrait of a man who has learned so much since we first met him in chapter 37 we're going to try to understand what he's, what, what he's learned actually by asking uh, two questions we could get more out of this passage but let's just ask two questions Two simple questions. In Genesis 40 41, what does Joseph do as he faces disappointment? And uh, in these chapters as well, what has Joseph learned as he lives with disappointment? What does he do? What has he learned? First of all then, what does he do? The answer is simple. He serves God faithfully. It is very, very clear in this passage again and again. We saw that Joseph had already been doing that uh, two weeks ago when uh, he served in in Potiphar's house. But uh, this second disappointment does not make him lose God's presence and does not make him lose his commitment to serve God faithfully. God, we're told, even in the prison at the end of chapter 39, enabled him to serve diligently and fruitfully. Look back at chapter 39, verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now let's be clear, this is not the success that Joseph is really looking for. But nevertheless, God enables him to serve in this terrible situation diligently. And the qualities of Joseph's service become very clear in chapter 40. There, in chapter 40 we read this cupbearer and baker offend Pharaoh in some way or other. Probably there was some perilous intrigue and Pharaoh finds out about it. And uh, these two senior uh, officials are thrown into jail while Pharaoh decides what to do about them. After a while they have a dream. And in Egypt dreams were understood to be portents of the future. So next morning they who are already worrying about their futures are very, very anxious. Joseph has been uh, put in charge of them. He attends them. And look at the genuine care that he shows them. Verse 6, when Joseph came to them next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? You know, prisons in every age have always been brutal places and and, uh, an ancient jail in, uh, in Egypt under Pharaoh was probably one of the most brutal places in history. People get brutalised in, in those situations, but not Joseph. 
Here is a man in this terrible situation spotting when a couple of prisoners are particularly downcast, asking them why they are downcast, taking an interest in them, caring for them. And he is faithful as well in using his gift. Joseph's gift is very unusual. He's got a gift of interpreting dreams. And um, uh, there must have been many years when uh, that gift was not used, when uh, it seemed to be a completely useless gift for him. But the time came and he was still ready to offer it to God, still ready to have it used. He didn't bury his, his talent in the ground. He uses it and he uses it with massive integrity. He uh, offers to interpret their dreams. Their cup bearer tells him his dream, squeezing grapes into Pharaoh's cup. And Joseph tells him just out straight, he says, um, that he will be restored to his former role. The um, baker then is, of course, heartened by this good interpretation and thinks perhaps his will be good and uh, um, tells him of uh, his dream of carrying Pharaoh's bread and cakes and uh, them getting eaten by the, the birds. Joseph is careful how he responds in verse 19 to this baker. He begins actually in exactly the same way as he's spoken to the cupbearer. Pharaoh will lift up your head, he says. And as the sentence continues to the end as it became become clear that this lifting up is not exaltation to his previous uh, position, but actually being impaled on a pole. Careful as Joseph is to talk to this, this baker, um, uh, he is nevertheless does not flinch from telling him the truth. He uses his gift with integrity, even if it's at some significant risk to him. Don't tell a powerful person bad news without having a little flutter in your heart. But perhaps most striking in this, uh, uh, in this chapter, um, uh, uh, most striking aspect of Joseph's faithfulness in simply serving God in this uh, apparently God-forsaken place is his continuing commitment to glorify God. These two men reveal their dreams, uh, that they've had dreams. And Joseph says in verse 8, did you see? Um, Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Now actually an average Egyptian would say, no, they don't. Actually they belong to a certain select group of skilled people who have secret knowledge, who uh, can plumb the depths of dreams. They're a very highly respected group of people in our society. Joseph had every opportunity to say, actually I've got the gift that those uh, people have, the secret skill that those people have and therefore to exalt himself just as every other Egyptian who could interpret dreams did. But he won't do that. Interpretations, he says, belong to God. I may have a gift but it is from God and I am determined that you should see that God has given me this gift. I will use it with integrity to glorify him. 
What did Joseph do? He served God faithfully, with integrity, with compassion, determined that the glory should go to God. What a man he's become. Think back to chapter 37. And that, that spoilt teenager who exalted himself in front of his brothers. Do you remember? Who told tales about them. Who loved to wear poncy clothes. Who was, who was kept back at home by his father and not out there in the fields um, uh, looking after the sheep. And that immature, self-obsessed, lazy teenager has become, in fact, a man of God, a man of massive integrity. What did he do? When his hopes were dashed, he set about serving the living God where he was, faithfully. It may be that you have dreams here, I hope you do. I hope you have some ambitions for your life. And they may be God-given dreams or they may not be. I don't think many of us have the uh, skill to distinguish uh, between those two. But to be honest, that anyway is a secondary issue. The key issue for our lives is, will we serve God today? as I face disappointment, as I live in the days before any of my dreams are fulfilled, will I nevertheless serve God faithfully today? Joseph longs to be out of prison. It's not like he's totally content in that place. He asks the cupbearer to remember him and explains the injustice that uh, has been perpetrated against him. Did you see that in verses 14 and 15? When all goes well with you, he says to the cupbearer, remember me, show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcefully carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put into into a dungeon or a, or a pit. He longs for um, something better to happen to him. It's not that we suspend our longing. It is just that whilst we long for those things, we serve God now. Faithfully, humbly, lovingly, determined to make sure that God gets the glory. Over the years, for instance, in, the, in this church, we've seen a good few asylum seekers pass through. And it, it's, it's traumatic, actually, to meet and talk to asylum seekers. Um, uh, most of them are high achievers in their own countries and uh, have faced at least the suspension of all their dreams, generally the suspension of life, in fact. And a very large proportion of them descend into uh, a numbness and a depression and a sense of listlessness as they live in this country. And just a few shine beyond that who, whilst they wait, 
not knowing what their future holds, set about serving God today. They stand out. They shine. Their experience is far worse than most of us. We can serve him today, even in the midst of disappointment. We can serve God faithfully. We can bring glory to God. We can live as Joseph lived. What did Joseph do then? Second question. What did Joseph learn? Well, let's start at the relatively mundane. It is is quite important. He learned to govern. Chapter 41, we'll see Joseph actually finally elevated so he governs uh, over the whole of Egypt with great wisdom. And uh, uh, he had learned to do that first in Potiphar's house where he was put into a senior position before um, uh, being thrown into prison. And then um, he uh, uh, ends up being um, more or less a sort of sub-governor of the, the prison that he's in. God does not waste our experiences, you see. If we keep God at the centre of our lives, we are not wasting our time at any point in our life. God is giving us experiences and giving us opportunities that he will use for his glory and for your fruitfulness. You may not be able to see it now, it may take a long time before you finally see what, uh, what God was forging in your life at that difficult time. But he is doing that. He's giving you experiences that he will use in your later life. But that's not the most important thing that Joseph learned. Now, the most important thing he learned was about God. He had learned to trust that God does not forget. Actually, this story in many ways is all about remembering. Did you notice Joseph appeals to the cupbearer to remember him when he's restored to office? The chapter ends crucially showing us the cupbearer did not remember. Verse 23. The cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And then two years pass before Pharaoh has those famous dreams that uh, I'm sure most of us know about, where he dreams of seven fat cows being eaten by seven thin cows and seven fat ears of corn being eaten by seven thin ears of corn. And it's only then that the penny drops for the cupbearer and the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Do you see verse 9 of chapter 41? The cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. 
Pharaoh was once angry with his, me and his servants and imprisoned me and the chief cupbearer in the house and the captain of the guard and each of us had a dream on the same night and a dream had a meaning of its own and a young Hebrew was with us, a servant of the captain of the guard and he told him our dreams and interpreted them for us giving each man the interpretation of his dreams and the things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us I was restored to my position and the other man was hanged only at that point after two years does the cupbearer remember Joseph and suddenly from complete inaction the story starts to move incredibly quickly verse 14 so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon when he had shaved and changed his clothes he came before Pharaoh Joseph again demonstrates his extraordinary, courageous integrity, speaking to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, with great boldness, verse 16, I cannot interpret your dream, Pharaoh replied, uh, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he does. What he said in prison to cupbearer and baker, he says now, as a prisoner before Pharaoh, Pharaoh explains his dreams to Joseph and Joseph explains that, that, that they mean that there are going to be seven years of abundant harvest followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph explains with this theme of remembering again that the people will soon forget the years of abundance because of the famine. Verse 31 of chapter 41. The reason the dream has been uh, sorry, the, 31. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows it will be so severe. Joseph knows people forget. Joseph has learned from painful experience people forget. But Joseph has learned something else as well. Joseph has learned that God doesn't forget. Look at the very next verse. People will forget, but, verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. The double dream, he says, means something special. It means that God has decided that he's definitely going to do this thing. It's not conditional. It's absolute. God has decided it's going to happen. And literally, he says, God is in a hurry to do it. That's what the original means. God is in a hurry to do it. And what is so stupendous about that statement, of course is that Joseph had had a double dream before. Back in chapter 37. Uh, a dream first of sheaves bowing down to his sheaf and then a dream of sun, moon and stars bowing down to him. A dream, a double dream, which indicated that he would rule over his brothers. And 13 years have passed until this day. And during those 13 years, he has lost all contact with that family that God said he would rule over. He has been raised up by Potiphar and then had his hopes dashed as he was imprisoned by him. He's been raised up again 
in, in, uh, in prison. He's even glimpsed the possibility that he might go free and then had his hopes dashed. He has been forgotten and forgotten and forgotten. But over those long years of disappointment, Joseph has concluded that that double dream means God hasn't forgotten. He has a deep burning conviction. God keeps his promises. People may forget, but God does not forget. Cupbearers may forget, but not God. And even more amazingly, he has come to this conviction that double dreams mean God not only doesn't forget, he's in a hurry to fulfil his promises. Isn't that extraordinary? man who's been waiting, languishing for more than a decade, has decided God's in a hurry. Thirteen years in servitude and God's in a hurry. I've spent enough time myself dealing with people who've endured years of disappointment to know that that is an extraordinary miracle for God to do in Joseph's heart. So that for him to see God is in a hurry. God has promised us some things too. And make no mistake about it, he is in a hurry to do it, though it doesn't feel like it. He is in a hurry to conform you to the likeness of Christ. He is in a hurry, actually, to give you after your sadness joy. He has promised you that after he has disciplined you for a little while, he will produce in you a harvest of righteousness and he's in a hurry to do it. He has promised you that actually as you ask for wisdom in faith, he will give you that wisdom and he is in a hurry to do it. He has promised you that he will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you, he is in a hurry to do it. And he has promised that one day Christ will return, that Christ will judge the living and the dead, that Christ will create a new heaven and a new earth where there are no more tears and no more mourning and no more crying. And he is in a hurry to do it. 2 Peter 3 verses 9 to 10 The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. God is not slow as some understand slowness. God has not forgotten you. If you're not yet a Christian here this morning, and perhaps you've been starting to explore Christianity, and perhaps you've found it slow, and you've got so much to work through, let me say to you, if you pursue God with integrity, then you will come to a place of peace with him. Jesus promised he doesn't turn away anyone who comes to him, who sincerely comes to him. It may take longer than you want it to, but just keep going. There are things that neither you nor I understand that must happen before you can get to that place. But let me assure you, God is in a hurry to do it. He is not slow. 
and Christians here this morning. Many of you are, are young. Perhaps you imagine that, that, that things in life will just fall into place pretty quickly. Well, let me say to you, don't be surprised when they don't. Learn to serve God faithfully, faithfully whatever your circumstances. And don't forget this. God is in a hurry to shape you to the likeness of Christ. God is in a hurry to pour out the blessings that he has in store for you. God is in a hurry to give you the works he has prepared in advance for you to do. He is not slow. He has made promises and he is completing them as fast as he can. Perhaps in your future there may be, as there was for Joseph, 13 years or perhaps even more of seeing almost nothing. And at the, at the end of it, will you be depressed? Will you be half-hearted? Will you be a pew filler? Will you have given up going to church? Because God didn't just uh, do it at the snap of your finger? Christianity was okay for you while you had obviously obvious success and obvious quick benefits. But actually, were you prepared to work at his speed? God may actually need to give you years of disappointment, as he did for Joseph, to shape you into the person that he wants you to be. And during those years, remember God is in a hurry. And for us older Christians who have uh, tasted something of Joseph's experience, you know, I, I can think of a person, perhaps an extreme example, but a person who is in his 80s now who had a pretty tough life. He endured a difficult marriage. He struggled with strong urges to sin for a lot of his life. And... Um, said to me some time ago, it was only in the last ten years that he really felt that he'd come to a piece of, place of peace and real contentment with God. Now his story is extreme. But it's not that unusual. It's not by accident that God gave most of us three score year and ten to do his work. He knows it takes time. But he is in a hurry. Joseph finally comes to rule Egypt. He becomes extremely successful. He marries and he calls his uh, firstborn son a significant name. Verse 51. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. And it said and said, it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. God made him forget his misery. Manasseh means to forget. And he will enable you to forget your years of misery too. You will forget the hard toil. You will forget the frustration. There will be much forgetting in your lifetime. God in his grace does that. 
But one thing you won't forget will be actually the extraordinary, glorious, wonderful beauty that God is creating in you. He is determined to conform you to the likeness of Christ. And one day, you know, you will step back and look at your life as the, perhaps the viewer of a great painting may step back with the artist who has just completed the last intricate detail of his uh, magnum opus and together you and the artist will survey the whole work which is you and you will turn to the artist and you will say that's a masterpiece how did you do it so quickly? and he'll turn to you and he'll say yes I achieved what I wanted to achieve and you're right I did it in a hurry.